0: John Michaels tends to say whatever comes to mind, so we just put a mic in front of him. All you do is talk, 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 This is John Michaels' stream of consciousness, the podcast that gets into, well, just about everything. Feeling stupid? I know I am. From 680 The Fan and thepodcastpark.com.
1: It's showtime,
0: and I don't mean a bad impression of HBO. I mean time for a show.
2: Hey, what's up? It's time now for the Stream of Conscience podcast. It's your boy, John Michaels, from the front row on 680 The Fans, 6 to 9 a.m., Monday through Friday. Sandra Golden, Brian Finner and myself, alongside Sean Nerney and John Radcliffe. Always have a great time on the morning show. Kind of the idea behind this podcast is going to be pretty simple. This will be the stuff that I may not be able to get to during the week on the show, some stuff that's outside of our region, stuff that's more life-related, uh, things along those lines. You know, we do our slice of life question every day. I try to bring a lifestyle topic into the show, and part of that has to do with, you know, we are regular people just like everybody else. We, and I tell anybody, we just happen to have really, really cool jobs where we get up in the morning and get a chance to talk about sports and BS about life and everything else. I I tend to say that I'm a lot more like people that are listening to us than maybe anybody else on the station, you know, with the kids, and I still play flag football, and I'm out playing competitive sports, and, you know, dealing with kids in high school, I've got two in middle school, all of that different stuff, and just regular life problems. So this podcast will dive into some of that. It's obviously going to dive into what's going on around the world of sports because that's what you listen to 680 The Fan for is for all of our sports information. And then for me, you know, I I do like teams outside of the local area. I love to dive into some more of the national stuff that, again, we just don't get a chance to talk about nearly as much. So the first thing that comes up today, obviously, is what happened over the weekend with the uh, Matthew Stafford and Jared Goff trade as that goes down. And I love to go to social media for reactions pretty much immediately. And I get them immediately from Falcon fans where they go, all right, it's time to trade Matt Ryan. And I thought our boy Front Office Lowe's did a great job on a YouTube video breaking down why you can't trade Matt Ryan. First and foremost, I think the Rams overpaid for Matthew Stafford. It's nothing against Stafford. I think he's a decent quarterback. I think he's a middle-tier quarterback in the NFL. He's probably somewhere... 10-15, 10 to 15. Unfortunately for him, he's been stuck on a crap franchise for a long period in his career, and now all of a sudden he probably looks around and goes, "Dude, I've got Sean McVay, an innovative offense, uh, you know, weapon and Cam Akers. I've got Robert Woods and Cooper Cup, a really really salty defense led by Aaron Donald. I've got a chance now to go out and maybe you know get into the playoffs and win some damn games because that's obviously been the knock on Stafford. For Jared Goff, it had soured pretty quickly. I never bought into Jared Goff as being some be-all, end-all quarterback when the Rams traded picks to go up and get him with the number one pick. I saw him. He kind of had the doughy body. Um, His rookie year, he was dreadful. Obviously, once he got to Sean McVay and got better and got, again, that offensive system around him, he was pretty good. But if you're Brad Holmes, the new general manager of the Detroit Lions, you got to look and go, this is a hell of a haul for me to get this for somebody like Matthew Stafford. Stafford's going to be 33 years old when the season starts. And I get it. We're watching Tom Brady in his 10th Super Bowl at 42 or 43 years old. However the hell old he is, just continue to defy time and logic. But father time is eventually undefeated. So you think about with Matthew Stafford, if you're the Rams, you've probably got a two-year window to go out there and try to win something. And the two-year window is pretty simple. Their salary cap screwed in two years. When Aaron Donald's at 27 mil and and, uh, Jalen Ramsey's at 22 million and Matthew Stafford's at 20-some-odd million, which is actually a bargain for a starting quarterback, and you're paying like 15 million for Robert Woods and 14 million for Cooper Cup, they're screwed. Eventually, less need, the Piper's going to have to be paid, and the Rams are going to have to completely rebuild. But what I like that they do that I have not seen out of an Atlanta franchise in a long time is they have the balls to go for it. Think about this for a second. When's the last time an Atlanta franchise, and I don't care whether it's the Hawks, the Braves, the Falcons, Atlanta United's different. Um, Obviously, they came around and they came in with a different business model. Their business model was we're going to be young, we're going to get kids from South America, and it worked, and you've probably seen MLS copy what they do quite a bit. But when's the last time an Atlanta franchise has truly gone for it? where they just say, you know what? I don't care about prospects. I don't care about next year. I don't care about salary cap ramifications. I'm going to go for it. And for me, the last time I could see that was the Julio Jones trade with the Atlanta Falcons. Thomas Dimitrov threw caution to the wind. I'm going to send five picks to move up and go get Julio Jones. And you got arguably the best player in your franchise's history by doing so. You went to a Super Bowl Julio Jones made the catch that, let's call it like it is, should have won the dog on Super Bowl, uh, the toe tap that he has over on the sidelines if it wasn't for Dan Quinn and Kyle Shanahan and others having brain farts and deciding to throw the football when you really didn't need to throw the football. But since then, it's been a lot of, oh, we'll go sign a Dante Fowler. Or, oh, you know, Thomas Dimitrov will move up a little bit. He always has done that. That's why we called him Trader Tom. Hey, I'll move up a little bit and I'll go get... Desmond Trufon or I'll move up a little bit and go get a Chris Lindstrom or a Caleb McGarry. Those aren't go-for-it moves. Those are, all right, we're gonna dip our toe in the go-for-it pool, but we're not gonna jump head first. I love the Braves. Alex Anthopoulos has built a monster with young players and everything else. But we heard for like three years that guys like Noah Syndergaard or Jacob DeGrom might have been on the block. Or, you know, insert Big Bat here could be on the block. And the Braves would never pull the trigger on some of their prospects. Now, in fairness, Mike Soroka, Max Fried, it looks like Ian Anderson, Ozzy Albies, Ronald Acuna, these are homegrown prospects who have grown into stars or look like they're burgeoning superstars. So it's good that you kept those guys. But how long did we hear about Aaron Blair or Lucas Sims or Tukey Toussaint? Uh, Austin Riley, for that matter. And Riley looks like he he's an everyday third baseman that's going to be a middle-to-bottom of a lineup hitter. I'm talking about six, seven, eight. He just doesn't hit for a high enough average, at least not at this point in his career. My point to that is while the Braves have done a great job maturing with their own young guys and it's put together a tremendous nucleus, there never has seemed to be a time where they go, you know what? I am going to package two or three of these pitching prospects, a Kyle Wright or a, a Tukey. And, you know, Tukey's star is pretty much gone at this point. You could have two years ago packaged these guys and potentially got a frontline guy to put at the head of the thing. The Hawks. I guess if you were going for it, it was trading away Luka Doncic for Trey Young and another first-round pick. But again, those were two unknown rookies who unfortunately, and Trey is really good, Luka might be a tick better. But again, this is not a move that was a go-for-it move. I look at the Lions, they're rebuilding. They said the hell with it. I'm going to get some future draft choices, and we're going to get rid of Matthew Stafford. The Rams have gone for it. They went for it two years ago when they went to the Super Bowl and they were making a run with, you know, a Dante Fowler Jr. who worked there, hasn't worked with a dam in Atlanta, but he worked there. They went and traded for a Jalen Ramsey. You know, they, they spent money. I think it was a one-year deal on and Sioux. They did everything that they could to put together a Super Bowl team. Unfortunately for them, they ran into the juggernaut that is the New England Patriots and they lost a the Super Bowl but I wish somebody in Atlanta had the balls to go for it for once. I wish somebody in Atlanta, and I don't care which franchise it is, would back up for a second and say, we're going to go for it. Tired of sitting on our ass, being the nice little teams that could, getting close and not being there. This, to me, is a year that the Braves should go for it. I've been banging the drum for Marcelo Zuna, and Marcelo Zuna does not guarantee you a World Series. But when you're up 3-1 to one in an NLCS and you're going to get a Bonafide Cy Young candidate back in Mike Soroka. You've got a really good bullpen. You've got good young pieces that we talked about. If I got to pay $22 million for Marcelo Zuna and maybe three years down the road I get mad at that contract, so be it. I'd rather do that than go, all right, I'm going to go the Young route uh, with Drew Waters. I I don't want to do that today. Or I'm going to go the one-year cheap route. And I get it. It worked with uh, Marcelo Zuna. It worked the year previous with Josh Donaldson. Do you think you're going to find that lightning in a bottle three years in a row? Maybe they do. You know, maybe I should trust Alex Anthopoulos more because he's obviously put together a tremendous ball club. But again, I wish somebody in Atlanta would go for it like the L.A. Rams. Yes, two years from now, the Rams are going to be up Blanks Creek. They're going to be at that point where they go, oh, crap, we got to pay the Piper. And let's be real, that's where the Falcons are today because they've been kicking the salary cap down the road for so long. And unfortunately for them, it's pay the piper time. And pay the piper means we're going to have to suck it up, realize that Matt Ryan and Julio Jones are here, or the flip side, and this is where I'll disagree with front office. You can trade Matt Ryan. What you're going to have to do at that point, hopefully, just say you traded Matt Ryan And I'm going to use a random – I don't even know who picks 17th. You trade Matt Ryan for the first at number 17 and, I don't know, a fifth-round pick. And you've got to swallow $40 million in cap space. The way that you make up for that is you then obviously have to draft your starting quarterback probably at 17 in the pick that you traded. You're now going to have to pay him, I don't know, 4 or $5 million a year, and you're going to realize for this year $45 million is tied up in your quarterback room, and it's going to be a rookie quarterback, probably an aging veteran that makes a million or two bucks to be your backup quarterback, and that would be your quarterback room. That's how you would get out from under Matt Ryan this year. The problem with that is you are basically throwing away the 2021 season unless your rookie first-round pick turns out to be Andrew Luck or Justin Herbert or somebody that walks in, Joe Burrow, and really can make a difference. I don't think the Falcons are going to do that. I think it's going to be pretty simple. Arthur Smith was brought in with the expectation that, hey, we can win right now. The offensive weapons, when healthy, Julio, when healthy, offensive line, are good enough to win football games. We now have a new guy, a new offense of mine, obviously with Arthur Smith. It's not the antiquated dirt cutter 65% of the time we're hucking it all over the yard type of offense. You're not going to deal with that with the new Atlanta Falcons regime. I think they will find a way in the first or second round to potentially go draft a running back. I would not be opposed if Justin Fields is, is gone. Trade back. You know, find somebody at 9 or 10, Or 14 or 11 that says, hey, I want that quarterback at number four who's willing to give you this year's first, this year's second, and maybe next year's first. Start building some draft capital. Slide back. And then at 15, if you want to draft Najee Harris, fine. At the first pick of the second round, you want to take Travis Etienne, fine. You want to take, you know, Ramondre Stevenson in the third or fourth round, I'm good with that. You want to take Trey Sermon? I'm obviously good with that as well. These are things that you could do. Quadriolison, uh, break ice and see if this guy can play dead or not in the backfield. Ido Smith, let him be your third down. Dion Lewis, situational back, who you swing the ball to, you use screens and draws and all these different things. Use his speed to get out in space. That's what I could see the Falcons doing. But to go back to my original point, it's time to
0: go for it in Atlanta. Speaking of going for it,
2: This year is a go for it for the Georgia Bulldogs, and I've already started the hype train. I've said, look, this is, I looked at that schedule and said, if you don't go 11-1 and at minimum, Kirby Smart is failing the program. And I like Kirby. Um, I think Kirby has elevated them to a level where they're in the discussion every year, but eventually you have to get over that hump and be the discussion, not just in the discussion. I get it. Georgia fans were giving me crap yesterday on social media. We got to open with Clemson we got to open with Clemson. Um, yeah, you know, we open with Clemson, then we're going to have to close with Alabama. How is that fair? Suck it up, buttercup. It's part of what football is all about. You, to be the man, Ric Flair said it, you got to beat the man. The men right now are Alabama, and they're obviously Clemson, and they're Ohio State, and they're Georgia to a certain extent, and Oklahoma. Those are the men right now in college football. You could probably throw Notre Dame in the mix there as well. But for Georgia, it's time to get over the hump. You got kids that came back to the school, hashtag unfinished business. You got your quarterback back this year. Um, obviously, him coming back in JT Daniels puts it where there's no experience. There's no Stetson Bennett month. It's literally JT Daniels is your dude from the jump, and you actually have an advantage, I think, a little bit over Clemson walking into that game. You've got a little more maturity. Place that's going to hurt, defensive backfield. You know, losing guys that they lose, Tyson Campbell and Eric Stokes and Richard LeCount, Tyreek Stevenson transferring. A lot of young kids are going to have to walk in and make plays from day one. But the expectations, Georgia fans, I want you to hear me when I say this. It is playoffs or bust. Anything less is a failure. Going to the Chick-fil-A Bowl, if you're not in the playoffs, is a failure. Going to the Orange Bowl, if you're not in the playoffs, is a failure. I'm sorry, this is the level where your program is reached. It's year six of Kirby Smart. And I'll never forget doing shows when Kirby Smart, Mark Rick was fired, Kirby Smart was brought in. Everybody said within three or four years, we're going to win a national title. And unfortunately, you get second and 26th by Tua Tungvaloa and Devontae Smith, and you lose what should have been your national title back in 2017. Georgia was the best team to me that year. Unfortunately, they blew leads in that game. They blew opportunities to win a national title. And as Falcon fans, we should know, championships don't just come around that quickly. But with that being said, the expectation is championship or bust if I'm the University of Georgia program, period. It's what it has to be right now. Everything else below that is going to be, at least in my eyes, deemed a failure. And I think it's different. Georgia fans get mad at me. You guys know who I cheer for. There's no surprise. I'm a diehard University of Miami fan, and I'll say it before you do. We have stunk for 20 years. 15. We want to go back 2005, John Tauntd and Georgia Tech started burying the mystique of the University of Miami. LSU that year in the uh, the the Peach Bowl, I think it was called at that time, beat the hell out of Miami and we have never been the same. Now we've had some moments. 2013, we started 7 and 0 fraud 2017 Miami was actually really good unfortunately injuries at the end of the year sapped everything that a 10 and 0 and a top five start really put to rest last year you started eight and one Miami was good but I thought it was still fraud ish because the defense didn't come around so I get that out of the way I know we've stunk before you tell us anything like that the difference is though Miami kind of knows their lot in life. Now, our fans, me, I don't know. I'm still waiting for 1999 or 2000 to come back around in Miami to be good again. Georgia, though, when you hired Kirby Smart, you got rid of Mark Rick because you were tired of 10-3. and 3. Mark Rick went 10-3 his last year and got fired. So your expectations were ratcheted up to win a national title, and you have not done so. And I saw guys yesterday go, well, we have to beat Alabama every year. So What? Everybody else has to beat Alabama to win the national title. Clemson's had to beat Alabama a couple of times to win the national title. To be a championship team, you have to beat the best. Now, it stinks. You open this year against Clemson. Now, it's better to open against Clemson last year with Trevor Lawrence and Travis Etienne and all the guys that they had. I think Clemson may take a, and I've got my fingers really, really close together, they may take a slight, slight step back. Very, very slight step back. You have that scenario play out. And you also get them in week one. Week one, a lot of times, best time to catch a team because you have an opportunity to catch them before they really get their rhythm going. But let's be real the Georgia expectations are college football playoffs are bust. I'm sorry, dog fans. You know, beating Auburn this year, beating Florida this year doesn't mean a damn thing. You need to beat either Clemson or Alabama. Here's the good thing you lose to Clemson, run the table, beat Alabama, you're in the playoffs. You beat Clemson, run the table, lose close to Alabama, there's still a chance you're in the playoffs. So playing those two monsters on bookends gives you really a chance to make things right. Other things I want to talk about. And again, a lot of times I'm just going to bounce around. It'll be a minute on this, a minute on that. This week stinks because we have no Super Bowl radio row. One of my favorite things, and for guys that have listened to me, and you know, I've been, I, I do have a distinction in Atlanta, which is pretty funny. I am the only host that has hosted shows on all four of the sports radio stations. 790 The Zone, I worked there for 10 years. Obviously, now doing mornings on 680 The Fan. I've hosted shows on Atlanta SportsX, and we know I worked for the competitor, 929 The Game, for about five and a half years, hosting shows there. I'm the only Atlanta host that's hosted shows on all of them. Now, That either means I'm really good or I really stink. I'm good enough to keep getting jobs, but I'm bad enough, uh, unfortunately, to keep losing them. Although one of, really two of them weren't my fault, but that's a different story for a different day. My favorite thing working in radio is Super Bowl Radio Row. And I know for listeners, sometimes it's not fun because we're getting guests, and and here's the way that this works. Radio Row is simple. Guest shows up, he's pimping Allstate. And I just use them uh, as a random sponsor. They're pimping all So for the first two minutes of our interview. We've got to ask them about Allstate because they'd have an all state representative standing in front of us. And we've got to do that because they're recording this and this, that and the other. But then for us as hosts, and I hope for listeners, you get a chance to hear from guys you'd never hear from. I mean, I've had a chance to sit down and meet Jerry Rice. And had a fascinating conversation with Ryan Leaf. And I got to meet Dan Marino, Michael Irvin, you know, Dominique Wilkes. You name it, the list of guests are unbelievable that walk through there. You know, I I did 40 minutes with Warren Sapp a couple of years ago, and I know a lot of people don't like Warren. Warren's one of my favorite football players of all time, and that's what Super Bowl Radio Row affords us. We got to sit and talk to Brooklyn Decker. Are you kidding me? You know, and she was doing something with the Special Olympics, but 10 minutes sitting with Brooklyn Decker or Alyssa Milano. That's what Radio Row is all about, and it's a chance to talk about the biggest game. Obviously, with COVID-19, Tampa, we could not do it. They're having a makeshift radio row, but it stinks. And then for us in the business that that work in radio, it's a great time to network. It's a great time to connect with stations across the country. And I've learned this. This is a very incestual business. Don't kick somebody on your way up or down because there's a good chance somewhere along the line you will work with them again. I use the story of unfortunately getting let go from my last job and immediately stations that I had done guest spots on started calling me to do work for them. I had stations in Miami call me. Obviously, Ty is very real. Stations in Tampa, I got to know one of the uh, program directors down there. Uh, they had me do stuff, worked in Charlotte, had people in Baltimore. These were just different places where I've done shows. I had guys on the, on the national networks calling me going, hey, I can get you a couple of fill-in spots. So it was always good for networking for us. So I will miss Radio Row. I love Radio Row. I love SEC Media Days. I know there's a lot of other hosts around uh, the city and places that can't stand these. Those are some of my favorite things to do. So I obviously miss it coming up this week. Something else I got into, and I, you know, I, I talk about my kids all the time. 11, 13, and 15 going on 30. I mean, she's a a grown woman. My daughter, Sophia. My youngest son, Kane, obviously named after the University of Miami, him and I and the kids always have funny talks about music. And I'm a music head. I love hip-hop. I'm an R&B guy. I, I think R&B, unfortunately, has fallen by the wayside right now because it's too much of calling women's B's and H's instead of loving our women like we used to. Think about the music of the 70s and the 80s. You know, when you had Al Green and Earth, Wind and & Fire and Luther Vandross, you could jump it up to Keith Sweat, uh, Gerald Levert. you know, you name, uh, whether it was a Alicia Keys later on, or Whitney Houston, people loved each other. You know, you heard music about, I love my woman. And today, and it's no knock on the ushers and the Chris Browns, and uh, there's a lot of talented musicians, The Weeknd, uh, Neo. There's too many other songs that are about treating our women like crap, Bs and Hs and everything else. But it's funny I say this to kind of move from old school to new school hip hop. I played and I was flipping through my Spotify one day. Kane was going to basketball. And Tribe Called Quest Scenario comes on, which is one of my favorite songs of all time. It's one that I could do karaoke to outside of the Charlie Brown verse, which is, it's a terrible verse. Outside of that, I, you know, I put this on, I'm like, Kane, this is, this is one of your dad's jams from 1992. First of all, I said jams, which immediately he looks at me and goes, what the hell are you talking about? You're now the old man. And I still look at myself as a cool guy, although I'm 46 years old, I guess I'm really not that cool. Kane put it in perspective. That song was on Scenario for about the first verse and a half. He puts his headphones on and goes, Dad, that's terrible. And it got me to thinking about something, about the music that we love compared to the music they love. And I've always, uh, my buddy Jamal always says, you know, music becomes great when 10 years from now you can put it on and still want to listen to it. So I think about like the crunk era. Lil Jon had some songs. Obviously, Ushers, yeah, with Lil Jon. You put that on today and everybody goes to the dance floor and dances. But there's songs, and like uh, Youngblood's Damn. If we don't give up, we don't give up. Hey, that comes on and you get up and you dance. But there's probably 700 other songs from that era that were terrible. I go back to the 90s, and I graduated high school in 1992. Trap called Quest different, classic. You could put on, we got the Jazz scenario, um, you know, electric relaxation. You put on, uh, I left my wallet. Nelson Gundo. Those are classic albums, classic songs. Biggie, you could put on anything from Juicy to Big Papa to Machine Gun Funk. You name it. You put, same thing with Tupac. Go down the catalog. You put that music on Snoop, Dre, classics. I listen to some of today's music, and I go, five years from now, you're not going to be listening to Little Gun Blast or, or, or Shoddy, Shot Caller, Shoddy Shot Caller, whoever these damn rappers are with the stir-fry, like Migos have some good music, 21 Savage, some good music, but a lot of it's never going to be replayable again. And I take these shots, and then I went in and put in Das effects, and I go, oh, my God, this is horrible. Like, the beat for They Want effects is awesome. Boom, boom. Boom, boom. Awesome, awesome beats. Then you listen, bum stickity bum stickity bum hum. What in the blue hell were they talking about? But again, when I was 17 or 18 and I had my 1980 Buick Regal with two fifteens and a thousand watt amp, boom, Coming through all bass, quad, and back trunk rattling. I felt great listening to bum stickety bum stickety bum hump. So it's parents when we listen to or we hear what our kids listen to, and it's habada 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 doo, Some of that is the same things we were listening to in 1992 or 1988. When's the last time you went in and put on a cool modi album? And it's getting not a knock on Cool Modi. absolute classic rapper. When's the last time you went in and put on one of his albums and listened to it start to finish? You probably haven't. You listened to the three songs that you really, really loved. When's the last time you went in and put on a, a Diggable Planets album? No, you probably put on Rebirth of Slick and listened to that over and over again. So as I sound like an old man sometimes with my kids, I step back and I reevaluate the crap that we were listening to, and I realize it was just that. It was a lot of crap. Appreciate you guys listening to the podcast. We're going to drop this weekly. Next week, it'll be talking about the Super Bowl. We'll be talking about the Senior Bowl. Obviously, I'd be remiss right now if I said this. Really, really sad to see my radio partner, Sandra Golden, calling it a career at 680 The Fan. She's going out on her own terms, and I wanted to end with this. Going out on our own terms with very few of us get to do in radio. This is a business you get into to get fired. Like anybody that thinks you're going to work there 40 years at the same place, I hate to tell you those days are 30 years in the past. But for Sandra to do what she's done in Atlanta in a male-driven industry and thrive and win a couple of Emmys and be one of the preeminent women's voices in sports, it's nothing short of amazing. I've known Sandra now close to 20 years from my first days as an intern doing updates at 790 The Zone. She was one of the people that took me in. And sat and showed me how to do things and it was you know when you bring new people in you're always thinking like they can take my job but Sandra never was like that she was like I'm gonna make you the best you can I'll give you any advice that you can and when she left 790 to move over to 680 we always stayed you know not best friends but we every time we saw each other it was hugs and loves and everything else and we always would talk via text and how proud we were of each other and when I got the opportunity back in September to start working with her on a day-to-day basis you realize the work that she puts in every single day and you realize even more so on a day-to-day basis how talented of a person she is. And I just say this, Sandra, I'm really proud of you as a friend to be able to walk away the way that you want to walk away. And I'm happy that I got to host four months, four and a half months worth of shows with you. She joked and she goes, you know, it wasn't even a joke. She said, John, I don't want you to ever take it that I'm leaving because you're here. And I understand the business and everything that went on uh, with changing the shows and everything else. Not anything I did. I didn't walk in and ask for anybody to be let go. She didn't walk in and ask for them not to hire me. But I joked. I said, it was all the Miami stuff that I wear every morning. And she started laughing. She goes, that's exactly what it is. But I'm proud of you, Sandy. Uh, I wish you nothing but the best. I'm sure our paths are going to cross from time to time. Again, this is the Stream of Conscious podcast. Make sure you tell a friend to tell a friend, to download it, subscribe, and all of that good stuff wherever you find your podcast.
0: Until next week, see you. What are you waiting for? Somebody to kiss you
2: goodbye? Well, no, 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 I guess not.
0: Hey, if you haven't already, subscribe to the show and get John's musings on everything from sports to entertainment every week. And check out all our fan podcasts at thepodcastpark.com. The warm air, the sounds of baseball, it's got you thinking about hitting the road. And no matter where your adventures take you, Subaru of Gwinnett has a vehicle to get you there safely and in style. Like the 2024 Subaru Outback, sporting standard symmetrical all-wheel drive and up to 32 miles per gallon or the 2024 Subaru Forester, the SUV with a spacious and comfortable interior for everyone you want to bring along. Start your shopping online at Gwinnett.com, then come see us for a test drive on Satellite Boulevard in Duluth.
1: A lifetime of hard work, children laughing in the kitchen, family photos on a restaurant wall, a legacy that lives on. It all comes from the power of a conversation.